Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Um, welcome. Come in. So, uh, my name's Peggy, and um, I uh, facilitate the uh, sitting group uh, in Rancho Palos Verdes uh, two times a month. And um, uh, have known Wendy for a long, long time. <laughs> And um, also, uh, we're going to be teaching together, which I'll tell you more about soon. So, I'm here to uh, talk about um, and invite you to the class that Wendy and I are going to give in October. Uh, about the heavenly messengers. Um, so when I got here today, by the way, the heavenly messengers are basically aging, illness, and death. So this is not a uh, um, this is some difficult material. So when I got here today, Wendy said, be sure and emphasize the life part of the... <laughs> and I looked at what I'd written and thought, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but I want to share why I tend to sort of jump into this. I did uh, a two-year course at Spirit Rock on the heavenly messengers. And because of that experience, I really have profoundly experienced the joy and release and freedom that comes from confronting aging, illness, and death. Um, so I, I tend to want to say to people, if you just do this, there's something really good that comes of it. Uh, so, but um, I've been told that I push people too quickly <laughs> into that. <laughs> um, but as you probably noticed in our uh, recent human society, uh, death has really gotten a bad name. And you might say, well, of course it's got a bad name. It's bad. Um, and it's absolutely true that we are hardwired human beings to survive and to fight against death. Our primitive brains are wired that if we're threatened in any way, we go into fight or flight to preserve our existence. And I think as part of that, uh, we've heard a lot about how our ego identity 
also fights for its continued existence. That's some of what Buddhist practice is about. Um, but that maintaining our abilities and our usefulness and our relationships are all a good thing. So losing them would be considered a bad thing. Um, so in reaction to this, it is uh, we as a society, I believe, deny, avoid looking at, pretend it doesn't exist, um, aging, illness, and death. There is a really lovely book, uh, and that they made it into um, a movie, uh, Being Mortal. And it's really about how even the medical establishment denies death. That they don't want to admit it when it's happening. They don't, aren't honest with people when they're dying. Um, anyway, if you want to Google it, you can watch Being Mortal. Um, but, I mean, all the ways that we do, and I want to sort of tap into the way that uh, you're aware of, uh, that we avoid it, that we um, preserve life at all costs. Um, we don't talk about it. We think it's a failure. What are some things that jump into your mind about the way you avoid uh, aging, illness, and death? I'm just going to make a joke, but I won't. No, a joke is good. You see, that's the upbeat. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Facelifts, exactly, exactly. Yes. Legal complications. Oh. Say a little more. Well, I'm I'm going through swamp type stuff about setting up the power of attorney. Oh yes. And making sure things are moved when I'm when I can't speak for myself and things are directed and they're not getting stolen by the government. Yes. So it's causing a lot of uh, processing for me to keep this online. Yes, yes. And you're absolutely right. So many people avoid it and thus avoid uh, uh, making things easier when they do pass away. Yeah, absolutely. I just went through this with my 94-year-old mother who had a stroke and actually is doing amazingly well. But it made everybody realize, wait a minute, <coughs> what, you know? We've got to have all this in place. Yeah. Um, my sister just went through that hurricane in North Carolina, and you know they decided to stay in place and ride it out. And I realized I had never asked her if she, where her will was, wow. and it was going to be she and her husband. And yeah, I mean, 
I figure if she passed, then the husband would know where everything was and vice versa. But that both of them were in jeopardy made me realize I don't know where that stuff is and I don't think anybody does. But it seemed like such an uh, inappropriate time to say, oh, you're going to write it out? Where's your will? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem like an appropriate time, but yeah, it was something that was necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the legal stuff is. Did you bring it up? We're having a little trouble anyway because of my 96-year-old mother and some of her matters, so uh, I didn't really go there. Whatever. But, but it's such a good point that we just don't feel like we can bring it up. Uh, there's a great book uh, by Roz, um, oh, what's her last name? Anyway, it says, I'd re let's talk about something more pleasant. And that's pretty much the attitude. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's this um, TV commercial that um, people are like saying, oh my God, there's something wrong with crinkly skin. Like you've got to change your skin when you're aging. You can't be crinkly. And they're like making a disorder out of like aging skin. Yeah. Wow. As if I don't have enough to worry about. But it's a disorder. It's a disorder. Crinkly skin. Can you imagine? We're really lizards. Oh, sorry. I don't know if it's like a. I'm like thinking on a different level, but when people have already died and you have an open casket and the way they make the body look, yes, it's that's like a complete denial of the happened to me. Yeah. A very good example, yes. Yeah. And then they say, oh, doesn't he or she look so good? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes for me, aging comes when uh, I'm comparing myself to the milestones other people are hitting. Um, mm -hmm. So people's parents are starting to die, or they're getting married, or they're having children, and only in that way do I feel the aging process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say not giving full disclosure to doctors or medical care professionals. Yeah out of fear for what something would indicate or you know, sort of maybe uh, you know, masking a symptom or not giving it full yes. acknowledgement. Yes, yes, really good point, yeah. That because, and that's that failure bit. If, you know, if, if there's something wrong, I've failed somehow to take care of myself or something, which is, yeah. I recently uh, inquired as to how much it would cost to have myself cremating, you know, making plans ahead of time. Yeah. And uh, I found a group in South South Bay Cremation Society. It's under a thousand bucks. Next to the society was around six. So if anybody's got a better deal. I'm a physician, and you mentioned medical doctors uh, ignoring the problem of, of death and not wanting to confront it, and I definitely see that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think patients, uh, or people who come to see me, um, they don't want to uh, to 
accept the fact that you know, mm -hmm. aging and dying and natural things, you know, it's just like, you know, I never felt this way before, and you know, uh, there is a big denial in this culture. Um, I see a lot of people that are quite elderly who end up having some terminal illness, and they get sent to the specialist, usually the oncologist, and uh, they literally um, give them chemotherapy and make their lives miserable until mm -hmm. the very last minute. I find that really reprehensible, actually. Yeah. Um, we don't use hospice enough mm -hmm. at all, you know, um, and I really think that we need to be more mindful of being honest. I really try. I've actually screened, not screened up, but I've actually pulled off oncologists, like, why are you treating this 94-year-old woman for lung cancer? What is your goal? Do you think you're going to, like, cure this person, you know? And I uh, had them taken off the chemo, and they mm -hmm. died, you know, a, a month or so later. But um, it, there's a whole awareness that needs to be oh. opened up here. You know? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Well, it's interesting what you're saying. My husband's a cardiologist, but he was trained in India and in the United States, and the attitude is so different. Mm. And he goes in and he advocates for, like, why are you putting this person in this respirator? What, why are you doing this and that? You're making them miserable. And I think the hardest thing is when he's trying to educate families, because families come in mm -hmm. in crisis mm -hmm. and in a panic, and there's all this guilt stuff. And they're like, you know, do whatever. We want to keep this person alive. And they don't understand what alive in a hospital means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's like total denial. People just don't want to look at these things. Mm -hmm. They don't want to accept responsibility. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guilt, you know, mm -hmm. for just saying, rescue mm -hmm. my mother, rescue my father. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to that person undergoing mm -hmm. all these extreme measures that are not going to prolong life or mm -hmm. add to life? So a lot of denial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, sometimes mm -hmm. to add to that, other people will make that patient or that family feel guilty for not doing everything they can do yes. to right. stay alive because right. we went through that, you know, mm -hmm. I went through it with a few different people and when it gets time to stop, mm -hmm. there are people who, it's like they accuse you of allowing your loved one to die and they accuse your loved one of being a quitter mm -hmm. and it's like, it's just so not cool. It's like, yeah. you know, when it's time, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't yeah. say anything that, you know, just be quiet. Yeah. It's also not your business to, to tell somebody what they should do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's take one more. I, I just feel like part of the whole fundamental, what's underneath all the denial and, and all this lack of being able to confront death and aging and illness is, is dealing with loss. Mm -hmm. We don't really mm -hmm. know how to, you know, we've not really been taught how to deal with loss, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think we know how to embrace it because it's about being in our body and feeling that pain mm -hmm. and, and people you know, try to resist feeling pain, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's painful mm -hmm. losing yourself. You read my next statement. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, if it isn't the enemy, what if uh, death is as much a part of life as birth? And what if the act of letting it into our consciousness would actually make our lives fuller and more meaningful? Now, um, here's a quote by Jack Hubner that I really like. Where there is no death, there are no risks, and life is utterly meaningless. 
life is precious, and so death must be precious too. Our job is to figure out why. So what you were bringing up, I do think, is the next thing we have to look at. What makes death so scary? Loss. <laughs> what, just to explore it a little more. The yeah. unknown. You don't uh, know what comes next. Yeah. I think yeah. the fear that you will be extinguished, you know, that there will be nothing mm -hmm. of whatever you think you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Attachment. Because even if you do have some beliefs about what happens, the loss part is that attachment Absolutely. to your life, your life with that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of grief really comes from attachment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I remember when I was maybe adolescent, whatever, being afraid that I would die because I would miss everyone too much. Do you know what I mean? So it's like kind of that fear on the other side, of, but I'll miss everybody, and that would hurt. So it's the loss, even though I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah. Or I think even denial, because I think a common theme is that, or earlier when we were talking about how I think they want to prolong people's lives because uh, there's like a lot of unresolved issues, mm. and that way, like they can deal with it. But then, if they pass, they can't deal with it, and, or they can't go through that process of mm -hmm. uh, reconciliation. So, like, it's just a lot of denial of like, I don't want to think about this, I don't want to resolve these issues, and then once they start dying, mm. it's like, <laughs> you know, panic kind of thing. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my thinking is that I. Uh, I didn't do well enough and I'm going to be punished. Mm -hmm. And as I believe I will continue on, I might end up in a, in a situation that, oh darn it, I messed up. And I'm being mm -hmm. punished for this now. And I didn't live well enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, in death or in the afterlife? In the recycling. That you would have an unfortunate rebirth? Yes. You want to be upcycled instead of That was a cat, not a dog. Frank Ostaseski, uh, who is sort of one of the gurus of uh, dealing with death uh, these days, he has a book called the Five Invitations, which is about dealing with death. But he says, he has a great quote that says, uh, we are fools to think that in the middle of dying, when there may be pain, etc., that we can do the work of a lifetime. Yes. <laughs> and so thus to start this process now. And of course, the next thing I'm going to touch on is why Buddhist practice is so helpful. <laughs> um, so instead of saying, I'm too afraid to look, we could try and gradually open to it, become desensitized, and actually get to a place of saying, death is okay. And that's where I got to at the end of the two years of Heavenly Messengers. Actually feeling, death is okay. I read 
somewhere and this um, that de there are three attitudes towards uh, death uh, in the three in three levels of um, Buddhist practice that beginner level of Buddhist meditation practice uh, dies with no regrets. That the middle level of Buddhist practice dies with no fear. That the gurus <laughs> uh, actually look forward to the experience of death. I thought um, so it's been said that all religions are a way of coming to terms with death. Uh, but I think um, looking at aging, illness, and death is really one of the bedrocks of Buddhism. I'm sure you've all heard the story of <coughs> Prince Siddhartha uh, living in the palace, protected by his father from all the ugliness of life, and then in his 20s going out and seeing an old crippled person and uh, being surprised at what had happened to them, uh, seeing a person who was sick and in pain and um, seeing that suffering, and then, of course, seeing a corpse and realizing that that is what happens to all human beings. Uh, the thing that I guess sometimes I don't hear in the story is then he sees a monk and realizes that that is what he needs to do, is to uh, find to awaken to the truth <coughs> of reality and thus he becomes, you know, uh, the Buddha. Uh, but the monk is the transformation that can happen by dealing with the suffering and then the Four Noble Truths. Um, so it's pretty important in this practice. Uh, when I was at the uh, Gaia House in Devon, uh, which is the Vipassana Retreat Center in England, um, somebody was showing me around and we went into the indoor walking meditation hall, because you need an indoor one in England because it's cold. Um, but they had uh, a skeleton sitting in the lotus position. <laughs> and it was uh, really lovely in the sense of just a constant reminder of this is uh, what this human body is headed for. Um, so, uh, Now, for me to sort of explain how it has helped the process that I've experienced in meditation 
that is helpful for dealing with this. When I was uh, first starting to meditate, um, I went on a 30-day silent retreat, and um, it was not easy, I'm telling you. No, but um, in the beginning, I would start to get to deeper levels of meditation, and I would feel an anxiety in my chest. I don't know if some of you have experienced that. And I went to the teacher and said, you know, what is this? Uh, and usually when that would happen, I would flip into thoughts and start entertaining myself with what there might be for dinner or whatever. Uh, but as a way to escape that anxious feeling. Um, so... Later, I have really realized that what that is, is some of the things that we just named as why we're afraid of death. It's going to a place that's unknown. I don't know what these emptiness. I really didn't like that sound of emptiness for a long time. Um, the loosening of the ego identity that that's a biggie, that, wait a minute, you know, what I want for dinner is my ego saying, you know, <coughs> let's keep it together here. Uh, and when it starts to loosen, that's a scary feeling, just like what we approach with death. Um, and just that anxiety itself, they talk about that a lot in hospice, that there is a anxiety in many dying people because they're just scared. Um, by the way, there's plenty of medications that deal with that. But, but realizing that sort of that this... Buddhist pra meditation practice and the process of aging, illness, and death are so similar. There is a book uh, by Kathleen Dowling Singh called The Grace in Dying. And um, she also wrote The Grace in Aging. Uh, there, I just think they're beautiful books. But what she's doing is really comparing the process of aging, which is the sort of the slow version, <laughs> and dying, and Buddhist practice. Um, she talks about the special conditions around um, uh, that are that each have in common. And I just want to touch on a couple of them uh, so that you get the idea. Um, practice and aging uh, has a withdrawal element that allows freedom from the blind habits upon which we impute our sense of self. Solitude. Both have that in common. Uh, 
Solitude brings us to a stable platform from which we can liberate attention from attachments. So, for instance, the solitude of being 94. <laughs> um, most of your friends have died. That uh, life has gotten quite small. And the solitude of a meditation practice. Um, the work of life review leading to life resolution releases us from our story. It is the work of self-inquiry. It engenders a liberation into the freedom of presence, into experiential attention, free from narrative. And uh, frankly, that's a lot of what Hindi and I are going to be doing in the class because uh, just as mindfulness practice has us look at the hindrances in our lives, that looks at the things in our lives that keep us separate from uh, the present moment. I mean, that's what we're doing here, right? And that also is what is going to open each of us in the process of aging and dying to a greater reality. I love the phrase that God uh, lets no one die unprepared. God lets no one die unprepared. That's a good question. I got it from Kathleen Dowling Singh's book. Um, but in the sense that a lot of people, and, and we'll talk about this in our class, this is really getting interesting, um, that there, are a, there is a lot written. There's the, um, what is it, the Book of Death? Um, yeah, of, right, right, right. Uh, which describes, you know, a lot of aspects um, uh, and saying that these things happen uh, to all of us. So hang on, you're saying God doesn't let anyone die unprepared, but you still have to be willing to make the preparations, right? Because there are plenty of people who die totally unprepared, <laughs> screaming and kicking all the way. So, uh, sorry, <laughs> the point being that, it, well, her point and many points is, is that at the time of death there is a, 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 a surrender that happens, whether somebody kicks and screams up until that point. And that's, you know, again, we've got the unknown very few people have gone through it, but that there is a point of surrender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty lucky to be alive myself. I've, you know, experienced some things in my life that, you know, I, I really shouldn't be here, but I am. I, and there's this movie that comes to mind. 
it's called Jacob's Ladder. And, and in the end, he, he goes to see his chiropractor, who's played by Danny It's Tim Robbins. He goes, he goes, I don't want to die, Louie. I feel like the devils are, the demons are coming to get me. And uh, Danny Aiello looks at him and says, says, uh, did you ever read Meister Tolle? This is this 16th century guy. And the guy goes, no. He goes, you got your doctorate and you didn't read that? And he goes, no. Because what he says is this. If you're afraid of dying and you're holding on, it looks like devils come to tear your life away from you. But if you made your peace and you know you're dying, there are actually angels coming to take you to a better place. It's all in how we look at it. And I just, I really appreciate it. In the, in, in the movie, he's dying yeah, perfect, perfect, yes. It is, in fact, the Tibetan Book of the Dead talks about that, that if you're prepared and see, experience these things with a prepared mind, it's actually very enlightening, and the transition's really rather smooth. But if you're not, everything just scares the crap. Yeah. And, and you have to go through many, many trials and tribulations during that transition period. Hopefully until you do recognize what it is and, and you, navigate, you navigate the best you can. And if you're not aware, it's very frightening. Yeah. But if you are aware, it's not frightening at all. And that's, I, I mean, I'm grateful I came close to death. It's because it's like, okay, if I die now, I don't have to pay off my credit card debt. <laughs> <laughs> but what about yeah. your kids? <laughs> um, part, part of what Wendy and I will be talking about is I, I do believe that this class is built on, on a uh, way to gradually <coughs> help you build a tolerance to the painful parts of this, to looking at loss, to, and I do believe that um, exposure desensitizes all of us, and that, um, uh, but a really important piece of this is self-compassion, is really being kind and gentle and soothing to ourselves as we confront these difficult emotions. Um, because it is difficult and frankly being a human being uh, is tricky business. <laughs> and uh, finding a way to really soothe ourselves and say, okay, this is what it is to be human and we have the ability to comfort ourselves. And in my mind, that is what self-compassion 
is all about. Now, what I'd like to do, I mean, you, you've been just great with uh, the group discussion, but I would like a little more time for uh, each of you. One of the things when we gave the class before that was that people, the feedback was, was the most valuable was talking to each other about this because, like we've said, we just don't do it <laughs> in this society. And it is almost a relief sometimes to have the opportunity. There's actually a website called Death Over Dinner, <laughs> and they promote having people having sort of, you know, discussions of death, inviting a bunch of friends over and having, discussing death over dinner. There's a website. You can go look at it. Um, so I would like to take uh, a few minutes for you to find a partner and any aspect. It, we don't really have time to, to get into, um, but to talk about uh, what scares you, why you don't want to talk about it, um, and to be really aware while you're talking about uh, whatever is what is going on in your body. That is one reason we talked to, we did the soft belly meditation in the beginning, is so often we, with difficult topics like this, we clench up to defend ourselves. And that defense, of course, is exhausting us, is making us hurt, a whole lot of things. So to be able to use your body as uh, pay, paying attention to what it feels like in your body as you talk um, is really helpful to let you know where you're holding and, you know, um, where you need to work. So just honor, honor that. Uh, we'll take 10 minutes and pick a partner. Um, let each person have five minutes. And while the other person's talking, this isn't a time to comment or anything. It is really just to listen and pay attention to what is going on in your body as you listen. You know, what is hard to hear, what, what is not. conversations. Is, is there anything that uh, anybody wanted to share about what that brought up for you? Mm -hmm. uh, we just have a few more minutes and I wanted to read you this poem. Um, this is called The Dakini Speaks by Jennifer Wellwood. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. 
Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. <laughs> Shall we dedicate the merit? Yeah? Okay. May the merits of this practice benefit all beings. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.